0: and answers. Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad believes that the destruction of Israel and her ally the United States, along with a world engaged in a chaotic war, will hasten the return of the Mahdi, Islam's Messiah. But who is the Mahdi? What do Shiite Muslims believe will happen when he returns? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, we're going to listen as Pat explains the Islamic belief in return of the long-awaited Mahdi. This study was presented by Pat at the 2012 Hawaii Apologetics Conference. And this study, along with the entire series of messages from Pat and his guests, can be purchased at evidenceandanswers.org. Let's join Pat now as he presents part two of his study titled, The Rise of the Mahdi, Islam's Coming Messiah.
1: When Jesus returns, they teach that when he returns, he will return as a radical Muslim. It is at this time that the Mahdi will be leading his army into battle and then the Muslim Jesus will return. In the Hadith, it states this, Jesus returns from Damascus. At this very time, Allah would send Christ, son of Mary, and he will descend at the white minaret in the eastern side of Damascus wearing two garments, lightly dyed with saffron and placing his hands on the wings of two angels. When he would lower his head, there would fall beads of perspiration from his head and when he would raise up beads like pearls would scatter from him Jesus descends to meet the army of the Mahdi just before their prayer time as they prepare for battle the Mahdi will ask Jesus to pray but he will refuse bowing and submitting to the leadership of the Mahdi Jesus as a faithful Muslim will then perform the pilgrimage to Mecca that all Muslims must perform. He will institute and enforce Islamic law. And Jesus will lead many Christians to Islam. Those who do not convert, Jesus will be a witness against them on Judgment Day. And on that day, Christians will affirm that Jesus was never crucified. He was not the divine son of God, but God's messenger. And Jesus will testify against and Christians who taught these things once again from the Hadith that writes the Prophet said there is no prophet between me and him that is Jesus he will descend to earth he will break the cross kill swine abolish the tax on unbelievers Allah will perish all religions except Islam Jesus will come to abolish Christianity Four things he will do, as mentioned in this passage and others throughout the Hadith, he will break crosses, he will kill swine, he will abolish the tax on non-Muslims and kill the Muslim antichrist, the Jal, and his followers. Now, what's important is that he abolishes the jizya, or the tax on unbelievers. Now, this is important because an unbeliever, according to the Quran, only has three choices, Right? You either convert to Islam or you submit to live as a second-class citizen, paying the high jizya or the high tax. Or third, you meet the sword, death. Those are your only three options given in the Quran. And when you go to countries that are dominated by Islam, for example, I was in the country of Malaysia. When a Muslim has a baby, they get paid to have babies. Well, who pays for all of that? The non-believers. When non-believers have babies and they go to the hospital, their cost is tremendous. Well, if you're Muslim, you get a free education from kindergarten all the way through college. Well, who pays for that? All the non-Muslims. They gotta pay tremendous tuition to be there in school. So you live as a second-class citizen paying the very high tax. Those are your three options. But when Jesus returns, he eliminates the high tax on unbelievers. What's that mean? Well, then there's only two choices left for unbelievers. Convert to Islam or die. And according to Islamic eschatology, many Christians will be slain. Many Jews will be slain by the Muslim Jesus. Jesus will kill the Islamic antichrist, the Jal. And most of the followers of the Dajjal or the Islamic antichrist will primarily be Jews. After this, Jesus will die a physical death. After killing the the Dajjal and all the unbelievers, Jesus will marry and have children. He will spend 40 years on Earth and die and be buried next to Muhammad. That is their understanding of the Muslim Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, there are some parallels between the Muslim Jesus and the false prophet mentioned in the book of Revelation 13. In the Bible, the Antichrist, the leader, the political leader of the world, has a sidekick, the false prophet. And the false prophet performs miracles and gets people to worship the beast or the Antichrist. The false prophet also offers only two options to people who will not bow the knee to the Antichrist, worship the beast or die. Now in Islamic Shiite eschatology, Islam has a similar alliance, the Mahdi and the Muslim Jesus. The Mahdi is the leader and Jesus supports the Mahdi. And the Muslim Jesus will force Christians and Jews to convert or face the sword. Next we have the Dajjal or the Islamic Antichrist. He's the third primary character in Shiite Islamic eschatology. The Dajjal is described as the great deceiver. He will be blind in one eye and he has the word kafir or infidel written between his eyes or possibly across his forehead but only true Muslims will be able to see it. He will also be a false miracle worker, deceiving all the unbelievers. He will claim to be divine, God incarnate. Thus, many Muslim scholars feel he will claim to be the Christian Jesus, Jesus Christ who claimed to be the divine son of God. He will ride on a giant mule. And while he is here, there will be three cities of refuge which the Antichrist will not be able to enter. That's Mecca, Medina, and Damascus in Syria. So Muslims are encouraged to flee there from the Antichrist. Except for these three, the Dajjal the will enter the cities of the world and deceive many to follow him. The Dajjal, interestingly, will be Jewish. And most of his followers, according to the Hadith, will be Jews and women. He will meet the Muslim Jesus in battle and be slain by the Muslim Jesus. That is the the Dajjal or the Islamic Antichrist. Now there's interesting parallels, isn't there, once again, between the Dajjal, the Islamic Antichrist, and the biblical Jesus. There's some parallels, isn't there? The Dajjal will be a defender of Israel, as will the Jesus of the New Testament. Second, the Dajjal will claim to be divine, claim to be God incarnate, as does the Jesus of the Bible. He claims to be the divine Son of God. The Jews will receive the Dajjal as their Messiah. And in the Bible, when Jesus returns, many Jews will realize when they see his pierced hands, they'll realize that Jesus was their Messiah and they will, many will receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah. If this is the case then, you know. And Mark talked about the great deception that'll be throughout the earth. Muslims then will be thinking the real Jesus is the the Dajjal since he fulfills three aspects of the the Dajjal. So Mark talked about the deception would be great. Isn't that interesting, the parallels here? Now, although there are strong parallels between the Antichrist and the Mahdi, I do not believe that the Antichrist is a Muslim, okay? There are several scholars out there who believe that the Antichrist will be a Muslim. I do not believe so. But I'll tell you later why there's probably these strong parallels, I do not believe that the Antichrist will be a Muslim because as Mark talked about last night in Ezekiel 38, that Islamic coalition that we see in chapter 38 of Ezekiel is destroyed very early in the tribulation, okay, The coalition of these Muslim armies uh, are destroyed. Secondly, the Antichrist, according to Daniel chapter nine, signs a peace treaty with the Jews. I don't see a Muslim leader doing that. Third, the Antichrist allows the rebuilding of the temple, on the Holy Mount of Jerusalem there, where now the Dome of the Rock, or one of the most holy sites of Islam sits. And I don't see a Muslim leader allowing Jews to do that. And finally, Daniel chapter seven and Revelation 13, the Antichrist arises out of the 10 nation confederacy of the revived Roman empire, the 10 horned beasts talked about in Daniel seven in Revelation 13 and Revelation 17. So I believe the Antichrist is not a Muslim. However, although the Antichrist will not be a a Muslim, there is definitely the Antichrist spirit driving the religion of Islam the Antichrist spirit is alive and well working to deceive the nations and John describes the spirit of the Antichrist that is at work and that will be very prominently at work in the last days he says this in 1st John chapter 2 children it is the last hour and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming so now many Antichrists have come therefore we know that this is the last hour who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus Christ that Jesus is the Christ the Messiah the divine son of god this is the antichrist who denies the father and the son two members of the trinity there are mentioned second john for many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ. What did Christ say about himself? Well, he clearly made the case that he was indeed the divine son of God. Jesus Christ prophesied and performed his own resurrection from the dead, something Islam rejects. Whoever abides in the teachings has both the father and the the son what is the character of the Antichrist spirit It denies that Jesus is the Christ the Messiah the divine Son of God it denies the deity of the Father and the Son the Trinity and Jesus Christ being the divine Son of God in Islam to say that God has a son you have committed shirk blasphemy a sin worthy of death It denies that Jesus has come in the flesh. It denies the incarnation of God the Son. John says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. And we know that when you study the life of Muhammad, I've written an article on that, it's called The Life of Muhammad and Jesus. Go to Evidence and Answers or probe.org and you can read that article. I get a lot of information from the Quran, the Hadith, and also the oldest and most authoritative biography of Muhammad by Ibn Ishaq, Surat Rasul, the life of the prophet Muhammad. And throughout Muhammad's life, he suffered from demon possession. As a young boy, his nurse said that this boy at one time was suffered from a case of demon possession that behind the tent several men appeared and threw Muhammad to the ground and searched his insides. When he received his prophetic call at about 40 years old, he would go into the caves in the Arabian desert there to pray and there it is said that he received his first vision from Gabriel and was a violent vision. The angel grabbed him and choked him and shook him, you know, when the apostles and Prophets receive visions from angels or divine beings. What did the angels often say? Do not be afraid. Hey, but with Muhammad, these were very different kinds of vision. It was a violent vision where he was shaken. Uh, biographers of Muhammad record how he would salivate and roll and convulse on the ground as he received these kinds of vision. Then when he was a prophet, the satanic verses in the Quran where he told the Muslims it's okay to worship the three daughters of the moon God, the satanic verses. He says there, Ibn Ishaq records that he wrote that verse under the possession, under demonic possession of Satan. And later God, Allah forgave him and gave him a stern warning and called him to repentance. And we also know that he fell under the spell of a Jewish magician, Labid, for over a year. So Muhammad struggled with demonic possession throughout his life. Islam denies that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God. Islam denies the doctrine of the Trinity. Islam rejects the most important part of the life of Jesus Christ, one of the most important parts of the Christian faith, of biblical teaching, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Islam teaches hatred for the Jews. Islamic eschatology inspires hatred for the Jews. Islamic eschatology envisions a massive conversion or mass annihilation of the Jews. The Quran is quite clear that it rejects the teachings that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God. Chapter 5 of the Quran: they do blaspheme who say God is Christ, the Son of Mary. But said Christ, O children of Israel, worship God, my Lord and your Lord. Whoever joins gods with God, God will forbid him the garden and the fire will be his abode. Chapter 19 of the Quran, they say Allah, most gracious, has begotten a son. Indeed, you have put forth a most monstrous thing. it the skies are ready to burst, the earth to split asunder, and the mountains to fall down in utter ruin, that they should invoke a son for Allah, most gracious. For it is not consonant with the majesty of Allah, most gracious, that he should beget a son. So they clearly reject the doctrine of the Trinity, and the deity of Jesus Christ. Well how does this Islamic eschatology drive and influence the leaders of Islamic countries of Shiite Islamic countries like Iran and Iraq? Well we know that Mahmoud Ahmadinejad in a speech at the UN in 2005 after he became president after he spoke, ended with a prayer and appealed to Allah. And he stated, to hasten the emergence of your last repository, the promised one, that perfect and pure human being, the one that will fill this world with justice and peace. Ahmadinejad believes that his mission as the leader of Iran is to hasten the return of the Mahdi. And Mahmoud Ahmadinejad believes that he can hasten the return of the Mahdi. The Mahdi will arise when there is worldwide chaos, bloodshed and violence and this conflict will hasten the return of the 12th Imam of the Mahdi. It is the existence of Israel and America in Muslim lands, especially in Iraq where the holy sites of the Mahdi are that hinder the return of the Mahdi. And therefore, a Shiite Muslim is consumed with ridding the world of Israel and America. Ahmadinejad appointed to his cabinet men who have the same theology. And they all believe that a great tribulation will warrant the rise of the Mahdi. Now, in Iraq, There are Sunni and Shiite Muslims, and they've been at war. But what, as Kirby mentioned in his seminar, what drove, if you want to call it a peace, was the rise of Saddam Hussein and the Ba'ath party. Saddam Hussein, as a military dictator, suppressed the Shiites for nearly three decades when he took power and persecuted the Shiites and kept them from worshiping at many of their holy sites, but there was some kind of peace there with his military dictatorship oppressing the Shiites. Although Iraq is majority Shia, Saddam Hussein and his party were Sunnis, and so they oppressed the Shiites. Well, once Saddam Hussein was removed from power, now the Shiites are in control and now they are battling for power in a civil war with the Sunnis and the Kurds there in Iraq. And so our military is in a very tough situation involved in a civil war between two factions of Islam that have been at war with each other for nearly 1400 years. Well, here's another name that you hear arising to the scene of leadership there in Iraq, Muqtara al-Sadr He's the leader of the Mahdi army in southern Iraq. He mysteriously disappeared from Iraq when the US invaded and we know that he was in Iran for he is an ally of Iran and Iran is exerting tremendous influence in the country of Iraq, and as our troops withdraw, we're in a very dangerous situation for now, Iran. We know that many of the terrorists were from Iran or coming through the country of Iran. Now they're gonna seek control of Iraq. And this man, Muqtada al-Sadr, is one of their key allies there. And with the help of the Iranians, he seeks the control of Iraq and further the cause of the 12 imams return. He also views the U.S. occupation of Iraq as an attempt for the West to prevent the return of the Mahdi. For once again, remember, many of the holy sites of the Mahdi are there in Iraq. Well, as we come to a close now, how shall we prepare as we face some very ominous times as Kirby and Mark talked about last night? Well, first of all, definitely we need to be in prayer. And we need not be in despair either, right? God is in control of all things. And though the Muslims may have their agenda, though the world powers appear to have their own agendas as well, actually God is in control. Working sometimes silently, sometimes behind the scenes, bringing about his purpose upon this earth. And it's actually going right according to God's plan. But we're to be in prayer for the leaders of this world, be in prayer that our leaders would be wise in how they deal with the leaders from the Middle East, and especially those upon, in our country as well. We know that just a couple of years ago, we're the first state to celebrate and establish Islam Day, September 24th, here in Hawaii. We're the first state to do so. That day was sponsored and brought to us by The Muslim Brotherhood, that's right, right here in Hawaii. So we need to be in prayer for our leaders, that they would have wisdom in understanding the threat that's coming from the Islamic world, especially in dealing with leaders like Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the Muslim Brotherhood, and men like al-Sadr. We also need to be in prayer for our missionaries there in the Middle Eastern countries, but also in prayer for our Christian brothers in Muslim lands. We've got a lot of Christian friends, a lot of Christian brothers and sisters in Iraq, in Iran, in Palestine, in Jordan, in Lebanon, a lot of, and we need to be praying for them. You know, I was talking in Dallas, Texas, and at the end of the seminar, a woman came up to me and shook my hand, and she said, I'm Palestinian. And I looked at her and said, well, great. Good to have you here. She goes, you think I'm Muslim, don't you? And I said, well, yeah, it crossed my mind. She goes, you know, I'm a born-again Christian. So my family and many of our friends, but whenever people here we're Palestinian, they think we're Muslims, and we face discrimination from the moment we get off the plane at the airport, throughout our business contacts and our friends here, and even in this church, we face all kinds of discrimination. They immediately think, Palestinian, Muslim terrorist, you know? No, she said, there's a lot of Christians out there. And I said, you're right, and we need to pray for our brothers and sisters there in the Muslim lands. Next. And I give you credit for being here. We need to be informed, be aware, and alert others to the threat that is upon our shores. Next, get equipped to share the gospel and the love of Christ with Muslims. Remember, we stand against the religion of Islam, but we seek to reach out in love to Muslims. And remember, the religion of Islam may not be a religion of tolerance and peace, But most Muslims you're gonna meet here in America are peaceful people. Many of them came here to have a better life. And many of them are very cordial and wonderful people and you'll be surprised how many would be interested in hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ if you first reach out to them as a loving neighbor. And finally, as Kirby mentioned in his previous seminar, we need to elect leaders who understand the threat that is upon us and how to deal with the leadership there in the Middle East. But in all this, as Mark shared in his seminar and as we read the Bible, we understand that we're not to be in despair. God is in control, using all situations, even leaders, to bring about his purpose. And we know that in the end, it is Jesus Christ who reigns triumphant over all of the earth. So there's no need for Christians to despair, but be in hope. But as Jesus said, be equipped, be prepared, and as Jesus said, be ready for his return. Let's pray together.
0: This concludes Pat's study on the return of the Mahdi, Islam's Messiah. I hope you're awakened to the danger of this theology that pervades Shiite Islam and are inspired to pray for the protection of our missionaries and apologists, like Pat who engaged the dangerous teachings of such false belief systems. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to this study and enjoy other great resources right there on the site. Also, the entire series from the 2012 Hawaii Apologetics Conference Featuring Dr. Mark Hitchcock, Kirby Anderson, and other fine teachers is available at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's ministry with Probe International relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. I hope you'll be with us next week as Pat and his friends continue to provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.